if I have not had the chance to meet you, hello, my name is Natalie. I work here, and sometimes I get to talk up here, and it's fun. It's one of my favorite things I get to do. And um, yeah, I, I would love to meet you after service. So if I haven't got a chance to say hi to you, I would love to meet you. Um, and if you have any questions or anything, I'd love to talk to you about that as well, too. But um, normally, uh, my husband's up here, Taka, but he is actually in Redwood City today um, helping out one of our sister churches as they're transitioning through their, their pastor. And so just keep praying for him because he's been doing that like once a month and you know, it's kind of a lot of like traveling for him. And so keep him in your prayers because I know he could always, he would always appreciate that as well. So if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, or maybe this is your first time here, um, we have been, we're kind of like right in the middle of a series and it's, it's a, for the entire month, it's the whole month is um, a Christmas series. And we're, t the theme of it is, do you see what I see? And so it's, yes, yeah, like right, right off of that song, the old Bing Crosby song, right, um, where he talks about all the little, the shepherd boy and all those people. And so we're kind of talking about the different people in the Christmas narrative. And we've been taking each week to focus on a different person and what the birth of Jesus meant to them or why they were a part of the story and why that mattered. And so um, today we're actually going to be talking about two people and the role that they played in the Christmas narrative as well. And the thing that I love about these two is I think a lot of us can probably relate with who they are um, simply just because probably um, you don't know who they are. <laughs> um, you probably, some of you maybe have never even like heard them mentioned. Um, they're not, you won't find them in the nativity scene. You won't find them on any Christmas imagery um, you may or may not have even like ever, like I said, even like heard their names unless you really go into the Christmas story and you study it from beginning, you know, to beginning to the end. And actually they're only found in the gospel of Luke. You won't see them in the others either. It's just the gospel of Luke. And so kind of the, the way I think about these two is, you know, sometimes I think we really can identify with that sometimes, right? I think, I don't know about you, but I know there are probably people in this room who have felt at times like maybe a little unsung or maybe we've been faithful for a very long time in our lives, but it always seems like somebody else gets their promotion or somebody else gets that position that we wanted or that role that we've been working so hard for. Or maybe, you know, it feels like you're always the bridesmaid, never the bride, right? So you guys can identify with that feeling of kind of being in the background, maybe sometimes not being noticed the way you want to be noticed. Or, you know, sometimes I think, I think some of us even put ourselves in that position. I think that sometimes we, we kind of hide ourselves because we've either felt like, you know, maybe we feel invisible on the inside or we've felt fear or shame to put ourselves out there for one reason or another. And even maybe sometimes around coming to church, maybe you feel afraid even to get involved or come around to church because maybe it's been so long since you've been involved and you just are like getting over that hump, right, of feeling like you can get involved again even. And I think even for some of us Christians who've been believers for a really long time, we can feel like, you know, we've been faithful and we watch other people's prayers get answered, and we're cheering them on. We're like, yeah, go you. But our, it seems like our prayers aren't being answered. 
And sometimes we can be faithful, 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 and we wonder, God, what is this for? Do you hear me? Do you see me? Do you know what I'm going through? And um, I love these two people because I really believe that when we dig into their stories, I really feel like we're going to walk away today with some hope um, for when we're feeling that way, when we're feeling maybe a little unseen, maybe a little unsung, and knowing that there's hope for you too. And so the people that we're going to be talking about today are the prophets, Simeon and Anna. How many of you have heard of them or have, like, heard their name mentioned? Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Like, most people are like, who? <laughs> who is that? Yeah, so we're going to go ahead. We're going to read, and I'm going to talk about uh, why their lives really mattered. So if you want to turn with me to Luke 2, 25 to 38, there's, like, Bibles in your seat backs in front of you if you want to grab one of those. If you don't have one, please feel free to take that home as well. They're there for you to have. Um, but also, um, if you uh, have your own Bible or your phone, you can do that. We're going to have it on the screen. So either way, it's all good. If you're not a flipper, you don't know where it's at, it's all good. We got you, okay? So it's Luke 2, 25 to 38. And here's what it says. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised, because I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is glory to your people, Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And I love this. It's like everything's all good. Joseph and Mary are like, whoa, like this is our kid, like this is great, this is awesome, but you know what? Sometimes when you're a messenger of God, you are kind of a killjoy in moments too because then you also have to say some of the harder to hear things. And then he turns right over to Mary and he says, then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. And he's been sent from a sign, as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Yikes. And a sword will pierce your very soul. Nothing like a feel-good message to come to church on Sunday morning with, right? Nothing like a great message to leave your child dedication with. He's already forewarning her. He's like, your child is going to cause a mess at the dinner tables all around the world, and he's going to perish your very soul. And some of, some of his parents are already like, you know what, my kid does that too, so Mary, deal with it, right? <laughs> we all have to deal with our kids, like, doing things that we are like, oh my gosh, that was my kid, they did this, they did that. But right here from the very beginning, Simeon's just lay, laying it out for her, and he's like, your kid is going to cause some problems, just get ready, <laughs> And so, yeah, nothing like that feel-good message for Mary. But then there's more. So uh, the next is the prophet Anna. Here she comes in the next scene, and, and this is what it says. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple, and she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years, 
and then she lived as a a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And she came along just as Simeon was talking to Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So these are the two prophets. Um, why, and why is this important? Why do I bring them up? You guys are probably wondering, like, what's the big deal? They were just there in the temple when they dedicated the child. Okay. Well, there's, here's the thing. To our Western eyes, to our today eyes, this just sounds like two people were there. They're like, yeah, it's God. Way to go. Have fun. Be well. But there is so many hidden little clues within this story that speak to who these people were, what they went through, and like their life story is almost the little purposeful clues are laid out for us. So I'm going to, I want to dive into that with you guys because it's really powerful when you begin to learn the history and the context of what they were going through. And so, uh, why this was important was number one, they needed to have two priestly witnesses for something like this to be confirmed. Have you, how many of you guys know that if you go to court, it's like your own word is usually not just enough. You need to have a second witness corroborate what happened, right? Otherwise, it's not really considered as legit, right? And so in this moment, he is making this really big claim, and he, it's got to be corroborated by two people. And so this is, this is Luke pretty much building up the legitimacy of what's happening in this moment. Not, what, not only did one priest see it, but two priests two priestly witnesses. They were both prophets. And so the other thing that's really important about this moment is that it's a male and a female. And this is indicative of a new pattern that Jesus starts in the New Testament. And I love it because it's really easy to kind of overlook that and just be like, oh yeah, cool, two people, one was a man, one was a woman. This was a big deal. There were only seven female prophets in the entire Old Testament. And yet she gets to be one of the first. And so actually there's this new pattern starting with the birth of Jesus of men and women working together to complete the mission of God. And we saw this at the very beginning of Genesis. That was God's original intent. But over time, it kind of faded away. We don't hear very much about the women in the Old Testament. But here, right from the outset, Jesus starts a new pattern. At first it was with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And then it was with Mary and Joseph, right? The the Holy Spirit was speaking to both. Angels spoke to both. And now we see it again with Simeon and Anna, two witnesses, man and woman, completing the work of God together. So this is a new um, moment where Jesus is like, I'm using both of you. In the past, it's been mostly men. But going forward, it's going to be everyone. You're all a part of my my mission for this world. Everyone is a part. And so this is a really important moment. But even though Luke doesn't really say much about these two people, he says just enough for us to gather some clues about maybe what their life was like. So Simeon, like we said, there's not a ton said about who he was, but what is said is really potent. And so um, what we do know is that he is righteous. That's one of the words they use. He's righteous. So That means at that time he was really well respected for how he lived. People knew that he was a good man. He was known as this um, really good man. He he was filled with the spirit, 
um, which was also a really big deal. Um, but he, it also says that he was devout. And that's the word I want to focus on because when I started reading this and I was like, sure, he was devout. I, I don't know about you, but I haven't really ever like thought about the meaning of the word devout before. And I just like hear people say, oh, yeah, they're a really devout Christian. But and I was like, I, actually, what does that even really mean? And so I just looked it up. And basically, it just means totally committed. So it just, this is saying that Simeon was totally committed to the mission of God. He was totally committed to this promise that had been made to him. And I think that right there alone is a message for, like, our world today. <laughs> like, if I could say one thing that I think that this generation of our people living in our world right now struggle with, especially after living through a pandemic for two years, it's that if anything at all comes up, like even just a little bit, um, a lot of us will just let go of our commitments. <laughs> and I know some of you have felt this. If you were a boss interviewing people this year, you felt ghosted by people, right? How many bosses can identify with that? People would apply for jobs and then not show up, right? This would happen all the time this year. Um, if you are on the, in the dating apps, uh, you would know that if people will just, they'll be like, yeah, meet me at this place. You'll go meet there. And then they just won't show up, right? They will ghost you. Like ghosting is a become a part of our culture. Um, I think it's really important in this moment. I think God is like, hey, I'm calling you to be a different thing. I'm calling you to be a generation of people who are totally commitment, committed. You follow through on your promises. You do what you say you're going to do. This matters. And I want to highlight somebody who really was totally committed to what I promised them. And I think it's, it's so important because what if we as Christians were known for being dependable, for being devout, for being committed? It's a very practical thing, but it's so powerful. The power of commitment. I mean, you, some of you have felt the pain of someone who wasn't committed to you, right? You felt the pain of someone who wasn't mature enough to have a conversation with you, to talk with you, to stick it out with you when, you, when, your, when your mistakes came out, right? When your flaws came out, they just dipped. But what if we were people who, who took the long road with people, we decided, we decided we're going to stay committed. We're going to stick with people. We're going to do what we say we're going to do. We're going to show up on time, which I, chief offender here, okay? I know. I'm five minutes late to everything. But what if I was on time for everything? I think it would be really great. People would be so appreciative, right? I know as a leader, one of the things that I just, I need my teams to do what they say they're going to do, or I have to pick up the slack, right? How many leaders in this room know? that you now carry not only your burden, but somebody else's burden when they don't follow through. So that's what he's saying. This man was devout. He was unwavering. He stuck to this promise, and he didn't let it go. It, Simeon kind of alludes to the fact that he persevered his entire life, actually, to see this one promise. And I think some of us are like, struggle just to be like, you know, let our food warm up in the microwave for five minutes. We're like, I don't even know if I can wait for this cinnamon roll to get done. I'm so hungry. You know, and we think we're all like living this hard life. It's so hard because we're just like, you know, we have to wait. And here is Simeon being like, I'm going to 
I'm going to wait my whole life for this promise, and I'm going to hold on to it. Can you imagine being like, God gave me this promise, and I might be 99 before he fulfills it. All I know is that it's going to happen before I die, right? And so that also speaks to his commitment and who he was. And then in verse 29, I just I want to just highlight this phrase that he says, because he says, now let your servant die in peace, so dramatic, as you promised, because I've seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. So dramatic, right? Now let me die in peace. <laughs> and so that that is a potent phrase. I'm going to, one second. If I'm going to stay committed, I need a little drink of my coffee. Okay, so he that is a potent phrase. Now let me die in peace. And we'll get into that in a second. But I was talking to my daughter yesterday about um, track. She's getting ready to run track. She just finished her cross-country season. And she's like, Mom, I like to feel good at the end of my race. I want to finish it, and I want to feel, like, not even tired. And I kind of looked at her, and I'm like, Coach Nat, like, thinking about what I used to tell my old team. And I'm going, you better not feel good at the end of that race. You better leave every little ounce of energy that you have on that track and do your best. Because if you haven't done your best, what's the point? You should be tired. You should be weary. (laughs) You should not feel good at the end of your race. And I, I used to say that to my team. You better leave everything you have out on your dance floor when you go to that competition. Don't leave an ounce of your energy in your body. You should want to collapse when you get off because you gave it everything that you had. And that's where Simeon is at. He's like, no, I've done it all. Now let me die in peace, right? I can die in peace because I've left it all out on the floor, right? And so we're seeing this man who has lived some life. Now, we don't know his age. It doesn't say that. He could be 35. He could be 25. We don't know. We just know he's lived enough life to say, now let me die in peace, (laughs) right? He's lived a tumultuous life. And so we do know, what we do know about that time in history is that within 65 years of Jesus' birth, there had been many different rulers, many, many different rulers and dynasties. The 65 years to have more than like one dynasty or type of ruler, that's a lot of change, but they had multiple. And so... Um, many of those rulers were not supportive of the Jewish faith at all. And they were very much persecuted for their faith. Actually, some of the rulers even killed thousands of Jewish people. And so within his lifetime probably, or at least Anna's, we know for sure because she's in her 80s. So we know she's at least experienced a lot of life. And we can assume that Simeon also experienced a lot of life because of his words. And so at we can assume that they were really, truly oppressed for their faith, for believing and persevering through this. And, um, you know, honestly, I think sometimes as Americans, we think that we're persecuted because sometimes we get made fun of or people don't understand us, you know. But they were actually, truly oppressed for their faith. You know, we've never had another government entity come in and take over our country and force us to have another religion or force us to renounce our God or we would lose our life. Like we've never experienced that here in this country. And so sometimes I think that's hard for us to wrap our heads around because, um, you know, we just feel like every time we, you know, something gets a little hard that we're being, you know, um, 
were being persecuted, but we, we are not, actually. <laughs> but these people actually were. And so Simeon and Anna, Anna's character in this and their determination, their faithfulness was very notable. And because of their positions as prophets, this was even elevated more because they were leaders. They were people in the temple that were probably like stick out because they're the people that are speaking God's word over Israel. They were probably targets as well. So not only was their faith being persecuted, but they as leaders probably had a target on their back, right? And so they were ready to potentially even die for their faith and stuck it out. And they show us that you and I, we can persist in the difficulty, even when there's really deep questions. And it does not look at all like things might get better. They held on to that hope. They held on to that promise that God was sending a rescuer to Israel. They held on to it. And things, this is the thing that I love, is that things don't have to be good in order for you to hope if you can trust that God himself is good. And I think that's what they held on to, was they knew that God himself was good because they lived that life with him. They stayed faithful to him, and in turn, God was faithful to them. It doesn't mean they had everything they wanted or that things went the way that they wanted all the time because clearly it didn't. Things were rough, but they don't have to be good. Things don't have to be good for you to know that God is good and that he's there no matter what you go through. And so their hope really was not on whether people, you know, had popular opinion accepted them. We know that traditionally um, the Jewish faith has been persecuted, like, for many hundreds, generations long. We, they've been persecuted for a long time. So popular opinion has not always been on their side, even today. And then, you know, another thing is that um, they didn't put their hope in who was in charge, and I think sometimes today we can get all wrapped up in that, right? We, get, we put our hope in who is in charge, who's leading either at our work or in our government or whatever. And we just we, we feel like things are going to end if our person that we think should be in leadership isn't in leadership. But they knew the truth that it doesn't matter who is really in leadership. There's one person truly on the throne, and that's God. And he's going to take care of you, and that's all you need to know, Right? Because if he is good, then he's going to take care of you. When you know that God is good, you can make it through those moments. Their hope was in the goodness of God. And they trusted that God was working for them, even when it didn't make sense, even when every other sign pointed to that things were not going to work out, right? I mean, Anna herself, she was a widow. She'd been through that. Simeon, we know, went through it. But yet, they saw the goodness of God. And I love that Simeon, one of the things I love about him is that he trusted God's ultimate plan without needing to know the details, right? I don't know about you, but this for me is maybe one of the harder things of faith, is trusting God's ultimate plan, not need, but not needing to know the details. Um, I don't know. Like, there's so many times that I've talked to God and I've been like, when's it going to happen? Who's going to do it? Where, what's the plan? What's the, you know, how are we going to, how's this going to happen? This doesn't make sense. If you could just make this, you could shift things around and make it work the way it should work in my head, right? 
So in my mind, I'm like making the plan, and God is like, you literally have no idea what you're talking about right now. You don't need to know the plan. Any parents who have little kids and you've gone on a road trip, you know this, right? They are. This is like humanity 101. You get in the car, at least my kids, and they're like, how long is it going to be there? What town are we in right now? Are there How many more minutes to the next gas station? Um, can you tell me what we're going to eat when we get there? Can we, you know, like... A thousand questions. And, like, we could not wait till our kids were old enough to read the numbers on the GPS because we're, like, after a while, we're, like, they'd be, like, how much longer until we get there? And we're, like, you can see the GPS. You tell me. Like, and then we finally, (laughs) finally, they learned to, like, stop asking all the questions and look at the GPS, right? But here's the thing. If you trust the driver, you can relax knowing you're going to get, eventually get where you need to be, Right? So many times we see the big plan, but we can't imagine why we're going through things the way we're going through them, right? Or why God is taking so long to hear us, to see us, maybe to fulfill a promise that we think he has for us. But you know what? That's what faith is. Faithfulness is believing what we can't yet see, but then trusting that God is going to get us there. And acting as though God is going to get us there. Faith isn't just believing. It's acting as though God is going to get you there. It is stepping out, taking the actions as if God is going to follow through on his promise for you. And so they didn't know in these moments. They, their faith told them that something good was going to come from this. But they didn't know that their endurance was going to get them etched into scripture that you and I would be talking about thousands of years later. They had no idea. They were just taking one step at a time. They were just waking up each morning and choosing to remain committed. They just woke up each day and just did what they had to do, and they didn't quit. But that's the thing about God is that in our faithfulness, he sees and he rewards And so because of their faithfulness, God rewarded them with a very significant role in history. And so their faithfulness would be felt throughout the generations, even to today. Passing on blessing to coming generations was really, really important to them in that that day. And and in fact, almost the entire uh, Old Testament is um, talking about God's carrying out his promises, covenants that he made like long, long ago, that would one day be fulfilled through different members of different families. And when you read the Old Testament, it's just full of these covenants, promises, things that God said, if you stay faithful for generations, your family will be blessed out of this. And so even um, keeping track of family names and lineage was really important. And even to this very day, we're keeping track of even different Israelite tribes, right? And Jesus himself was an example of this because um, earlier, we, they literally uh, will lay out literally every single person, especially Numbers is in the beginning. It's one of the most um, obnoxious books to read if, unless you really like to know, like, family trees. Um, I don't know. Some of you guys are, like, 23andMe nerds, right? And, but they didn't have 23andMe back then. They just had people, like, recording family trees. And so Numbers is like just all of the different generations listed out, right? But it was important. And they could draw 
throughout history, they could see God's promises being fulfilled through the generations. And so let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about lineage for a minute. Because Anna, it says, she was, she was a prophet. She was also there in the temple. And they take a moment to say where her family was from. But the thing about Anna is, as much as lineage and history were important, um, she was a widow. She didn't have anyone um, physically to pass on her blessing to from her own family. And so it's going to have to look a little bit different for her, for her. But here's what it says in verse 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. And so surface level, this just looks like a sentence about some lady and her dad and her tribe. Okay, But this is actually very, very important, and we're going to talk about it because there's some really cool things to draw out of this. So the fact that Luke mentions her lineage is important. Like I said, Jesus himself, we can trace his lineage throughout scripture. But the fact that he mentions that she's from the tribe of Asher is not a wasted detail. Because at that time, the tribe of Asher was thought to be one of the lost tribes of Israel. And as I talked about a little bit earlier, the Israelites were very persecuted all throughout the generations. Many of them were taken over by rulers that were very oppressive. Often um, the different tribes were scattered and people didn't know where they went. They, they just had no idea. And so they would call certain tribes the lost tribes of Israel. And Asher was considered to be one of those lost tribes. They didn't know where the tribe had gone. They didn't know what happened to that lineage. And so here she is a daughter of the tribe that is indeed not lost. She's there very much in the presence of Jesus, right? And another important thing to note is that she, her presence there is actually fulfilling another prophecy from way back in Jeremiah 23.8 that says, As surely as the Lord lives, who brought the people Israel back to their own land from the land of the north and from all the countries to which he exiled him. Her tribe was a northern tribe. And so in this moment, her being here in the presence of the Lord Jesus, she is fulfilling. Her tribe has been found right here in the middle of of Jesus' presence. She's present for Jesus' birth. Fulfilling this prophecy, she was not lost. But by all worldly accounts, she was someone who was kind of invisible. Because, like I said, she was a widow, right? And so she was married for only seven years before her husband died. And then 84 years more, she stayed and lived in the temple. And often widows were some of the most poor citizens. At that time, it was very difficult for them to make ends meet. Um, the other thing that's really important to, to note about Anna is that she was not redeemed by one of her husbands and brothers. So if you guys have heard other sermons, I've talked a little bit about this. I'm going to give you a quick snapshot overview of what that means. Um, in, um, Israelite culture, if your brother died and they had a wife, they really wanted you to try and marry his wife, to take her in and any children that you had with her would end up being, um, you know, taking your brother's name and all those kinds of things. They, it was really important that them that they took care of their family. 
they looked out for each other and they cared for each other. And so um, we don't know why she wasn't redeemed. Either he didn't have any brothers and so couldn't be, um, or he had brothers that did not want to take the time or energy or didn't deem her worthy of being redeemed for whatever reason in their life. So we don't know which one. We don't know why. But she wasn't redeemed in that way. And so it says, in fact, the, the fact that she stayed living in the temple not only says something about her, her being a widow and not being redeemed, but it also says something about her paternal family. Because this also says that she didn't have anyone to count on in her paternal family to take care of her either. She was alone in the world. She was, by all accounts, forgotten, unseen, lost. No one to call her family. No one to pass her blessing down to. Yet what the world has counted as lost, gone, unworthy, in the presence of Jesus is found. I love that so much because no matter how far away we feel from Jesus, no matter how unworthy we might feel, no matter what we've done or what other people have done to us or what the world has said we are, we can be found in the presence of Jesus and given a hope and a future and a legacy to pass on. Sorry. Every time, you guys, why do I cry? Every time you guys do it to me. I blame you for making me cry. Okay, anyways, um, Anna right here. I love this because in verse 38, what does she tell everybody about Jesus? She told everyone about him. All those who were waiting for redemption. And Anna, speaking of redemption, is so powerful because she wasn't redeemed in an earthly way, but she received personal redemption in Jesus. And not only does she receive it, but now she gets to deliver it to other people. She's the very first evangelist in the New Testament. Outside of Jesus' family, no one else had been told about him. No one. She was the first evangelist. If that's not redemption and purpose and hope, I don't know what is. That's incredible. That's what Jesus does for us. And I just, when I was preparing this message, I just felt in my heart that there was someone in this room who maybe feels that a part of you was lost or maybe even didn't even feel like you could be found again in some way. I don't know what that means to you. Maybe you felt unworthy of being found, but I'm here to tell you that in the presence of Jesus, you will always be found and seen and worthy of being redeemed. And I love that word redeemed because redeemed means basically you get to turn something that's not of worth in for something of great worth. You guys know when you've used a coupon, you give someone this flimsy piece of paper and in return, you get something awesome. You get something free that you didn't earn, right? And that was this situation at no cost to her. 
Jesus is here redeeming Anna, her tribe and the holding world. He's giving her the coupon, right? He's the coupon being exchanged for her and for you and for me and for everyone on earth. Is what That's what Simeon said, for everyone on earth to live a life of purpose connected to God. No one left behind. And a couple of other crazy details. I, I know I want to run short on time, but these are important, and I, I really feel like it matters, so I want to share it. Anna, it also says she was the daughter of Fanuel, which literally means the face of God. And in Scripture, names are very symbolic. They don't just assign random names. They always have meaning. And so some Bible scholars kind of suggested that not only does the, the name Fanuel mean face of God, it also, they think that it's a variation of perhaps the location where Jacob wrestled the angel for his blessing at Penuel. Fanuel, Penuel, Fanuel, Penuel. They think that perhaps that was very symbolic of wrestling with God until you receive a blessing. And if that's not Anna, I don't know who is. She was in that temple every day, day and night, 84 years, wrestling with God about the stuff in her life. She did not have an easy life in any sense of the word. She wrestled with God. And you know what I love about God is that the moment we see his face, when we begin to recognize him, when we receive his blessing, it's not in the good times. It's in the wrestle. That's how we learn to see the face of God. It's when we wrestle. It's when we dig deep, when things are hard and we keep going and we press in. And when it feels like we want to quit, we don't quit. We press in harder and we wrestle more. And for Jacob, he wrestled the angel all the way through the night, hours through the night. Anna, she wrestled with God for 84 years. But it taught her how to see the face of God. It taught her how to recognize the face of God in difficult times. So Anna, like Jacob, who can recognize the face of God, not only because her father is the name of God, but because she herself has wrestled with God and recognize him when she sees him. She can recognize God's face in baby Jesus. The struggle and the hardship is where it's at. And I know you don't like that. You probably don't want me to say that to you today because you're like, I hate the struggle. I hate when things are hard. But that's where the blessing is. The, the blessing is in the struggle. So don't run away and don't quit. Anna faced it, and because of that, she got to be the first evangelist. And I don't know what God has planned for you, but I know that he has a plan for you and a purpose for you. And you are not lost. You are not unseen. You are found right here in the presence of God. So what can we take away from these incredible prophets and the roles that they played? So few words about their lives, but so much is implied. These prophets were pillars of perseverance. They were examples of hope in hard times. They became symbols of God's promises 
fulfilled and their lives show us that not only does God see your faithfulness, but he does reward your faithfulness. And I think some people need to hear that because some of you have been faithful for a long time and things are not working out the way you hoped. But God is faithful. You need to hear that. When you are faithful, God is faithful. Keep going. Their lives are proof that none of us is too lost or too unworthy to be part of God's story. And we can be assured that whatever place that we're in in our life, whether we've been a Christian our whole life or whether we're maybe hearing about Jesus for the first time, there's a place for you in the family of God. And so today, as we enter into worship, I just want to encourage you to ask God, what does this mean for me? What does this mean? What is my coupon that I'm going to turn in today? And I want you to think about that as you worship. Um, Maybe just anything in your life that you're going, things aren't going the way I hoped they would. I'm going to turn it in. I'm going to turn it in. I'm going to give it to you in faith, Lord, and trust that you will come through for me. And so I just want you guys to take that time. I'm not going to tell you how to do it or what to do. I just want you to take that time and ask God what that means for you and what it would look like for you to take part in your place in his family. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every person here, and I don't believe for one second that it was a mistake that they came today. I know you had a specific word for someone here, maybe many people here today, God. And I just pray today, God, that you would continue to speak as we go into worship, but that not a person would leave here without connecting with you and hearing your hope for their life today, Jesus. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Natalie, that was a fantastic message. Something really stood out to me. You said their faithfulness would be felt for generations. And I grew up when I was really little in a home where Christmas was a big deal. My great grandma made the most beautiful, wrapped the most beautiful presents. And my grandma went crazy for Christmas. But we didn't really talk about Jesus. It was all just about Christmas. We had this woman that lived next door to us, a Hispanic woman that didn't speak a lot of English, and she had a lot of candles burning all the time. And she taught me to count in 10 in Spanish, and she taught me John 3.16. It was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel. I was probably about four or five. And then the next year, I met another woman, and I became a Christian when I was about seven from a babysitter that I had. So I wanted to encourage you that generationally we pass things on to our kids but we also pass things on in our community and our neighbors so even if you don't have a family you can leave a legacy just like Anna like I felt like I had a lot of them in my life and we need to keep that going so I just wanted to encourage you guys in that Um, don't forget if you filled out a connection card and it's your first first time here make sure to take it and drop it in the box back there And then a reminder that every week we do take a free will offering as an act of worship. And I want you to know that this week we were able to bless 30 girls through Young Life, some teen moms. And we were able to do that without any hesitation because of your generosity. So you can put um, money or um, checks in the offering box in the back. 
or you can give online. Um, finally, we are going to uh, dismiss you all after this last song. There's prayer to my left, your right. And then after the song, we'll do, we'll do another, or you're, you're dismissed now, but after this song, or after we're going to, um, you, you can leave. That's basically it. But if you want to stay, you can stay and listen. So let's go ahead and um, lift up our hands and let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you've brought us all here, those that are here, and kept those safe at home in the rain, Lord. Thank you that we have the ability to leave a legacy and that our faithfulness can spread generation to generation, Lord. I just ask that you would bless the offering that we take right now, Lord, and that you would go with all of us this week and help us to to go into our communities, to go into our workplaces, Lord, and just share your love, share the love of Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.